0: said. He knew it was a bluff, a brave gesture. She was begging for reprieve. But he held silent. He refused to argue. This way, he had her pride on his side. The curves of the road poured by, mailboxes, trees, some of which were already scorched by the turn of the year. He asked, Is this your idea or his? Mine. It came to me on the train. All Andy said was, I seem to be feeding you all the time. In the weeks since their summer of separated vacations, Richard had been sleeping in a borrowed seaside shack two miles from their home. He tried to cook there, but each evening, as the nights grew shorter, it seemed easier and kinder to the children to eat the dinner Joan had cooked. He was used to her cooking. Indeed, his body, every cell, was composed of her cooking. Dinner would lead to a post-dinner drink, while the two children—two were off at school, two were still homebound plodded through their homework or stared at television, and drinking would lead to talking, confidences, harsh words, maudlin tears, and an occasional uxorious collapse upward into bed. She was right. It was not healthy or progressive— THE TWENTY YEARS WERE BY WHEN IT WOULD HAVE BEEN CONVENIENT TO LOVE ONE ANOTHER. HE FOUND THE APARTMENT IN BOSTON ON THE SECOND DAY OF HUNTING. THE REAL ESTATE AGENT HAD RED HAIR, A ROUND BOTTOM, AND A MASK OF MAKE-UP WORN AS IF TO CONCEAL HER YOUTH. RICHARD FELT HAPPY AND SCARED, GOING UP AND DOWN STAIRS BEHIND HER. WEARIER OF HIM THAN HE WAS OF HER, SHE FIDGETED THE KEY INTO THIS LOCK, BUCKED THE DOOR OPEN WITH HER SHOULDER, and made her little open-handed gesture of helpless display. The floor was not the usual wall-to-wall shag or splintered wood, but black-and-white tile, like the floor in a Vermeer. He glanced to the window, saw the skyscraper, and knew this would do. The skyscraper, for years suspended in a famous state of incompletion, was a beautiful disaster, famous because it was a disaster. Glass kept falling from it and disastrous because it was beautiful. The architect had had a vision. He had dreamed of an invisible building, though immense. The glass was meant to reflect the sky and the old low brick skyline of Boston, and to melt into the sky. Instead, the windows of mirroring glass kept falling to the street, and were replaced by ugly opacities of black plywood. Yet enough reflecting surface remained to give an impression, through the wavery old window of this sudden apartment, of huge blueness, a vertical cousin to the horizontal huge blueness of the sea that Richard awoke to each morning in the now bone-deep morning chill of his unheated shack. He said to the redhead, Fine, and her charcoal eyebrows lifted. His hands trembled as he signed the lease, having written SEP in the space for marital status. From a drugstore he phoned the news, not to his wife, whom it would sadden, but to his mistress, equally far away. Well, he told her, in an accusing voice, I found one. I signed the lease. Incredible. In the middle of all this fine print there was the one simple sentence, There shall be no waterbeds. You sound so shaky. I feel I've given birth to a black hole. Don't do it if you don't want to. From the way Ruth's voice paused and faded, he imagined she was reaching for a cigarette or an ashtray, settling herself to a session of lover babying. I do want to. She wants me to. We all want me to. Even the children are turned on, or pretend to be. She ignored the pretend. Describe it to me. All he could remember was the floor and the view of the blue disaster that reflected clouds drifting across its face, and the redhead. She had told him where to shop for food, where to do his laundry. He would have laundry? It sounds nice, was Ruth's remote response when he had finished saying what he could. Two people, one of them a sweating black mailman, We're waiting to use the phone booth. He hated the city already. It's crowding. It's hunger. What sounds nice about it?